This is the Speaker for the Living podcast, exploring the depths of human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Speaker for the Living. We're going to go in a slightly different direction today, and I'm going to hand this over to my co-host, JJ Genflone, to explain what we're going to talk about. Hey everybody, I hope your week's going well. So this week's podcast is kind of a departure for us in that we're doing a pop culture topic. And the reason for that comes out of two things. One, our Thomas Jefferson podcast, where we discuss this sort of idea of can a slave consent? And then the fact that May 4th is rapidly coming up, and that's sort of a general Star Wars holiday. And that got Seth and I to talking about something I've referenced in a few podcasts, i.e. slavery and Harry Potter. But the more we talked about slavery and Harry Potter, the more we kept talking about actually Star Wars and this idea of slavery within the Star Wars universe and then more broadly clones within the Star Wars universe and the sort of idea of can clones consent? Yes or no? And we thought, you know, that might actually be a really good podcast. (laughs) So I called up my friend Robert Grant. We're going to go just call him Grant. Hey, Grant. Hi, guys. Because Grant is probably the best sort of Star Wars, I don't want to say genius, maybe like Star Wars historian, aficionado, that I know. Nerd is fine. (laughs) Mega nerd. Um, And I figured if there was anybody out there that would have sort of answers for us, it would be Grant. So please do not tweet me with your angry Star Wars responses. Tweet Grant. He's the one this is coming from. Fair enough. So I think maybe then to kick it off, Grant, one of my sort of first questions is we like to kind of start trying to clarify terms. So I guess then what what would be sort of a clone in the Star Wars universe? Well, there are all kinds of clones in the Star Wars universe, but I assume you're talking about the the army that they use in, in the prequel movies. I am thinking the people in the white helmets. Yes, the, 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 the clones that they used for the Grand Army of the Republic in uh, Episodes 2 and 3. Also in uh, A Dearth of Books and in uh, their Clone Wars cartoon. Mm-hmm. Basically, they are uh, cloned from a single person, uh, a, guy, a guy named Jango Fett. And he was a, a soldier and a mercenary. Uh, he was part of the Mandalorians, which is a race of people in Star Wars. Um, and they, they were born and bred to do one thing, and that was to fight for the Republic. And uh, they had no choice in the matter, so they didn't do it willingly. So then, so the person that they're cloned for is, is, is a part of a race that was itself enslaved, or is part of a race that sort of willingly chose to... No, he, he, he was a mercenary. He, he was paid. Ah, okay. Gave up his genetic information willingly. Okay. Um, so the initial person is paid... Yes. And then consented for then, like, basically an army of hymns. Yes. Okay. And, and an untold number of of him. And I can't help but mention he's played by Tamara Morrison, who's a New Zealander and a Maori. And I think that's way cool since I spent time in New Zealand. But anyway. So I think then taking – so taking up from that, are the clones at all – and. For those of you out there who are yelling at your computer screens, I know nothing. I admit this. I wanted to do Harry Potter. 
it was taken from me. Um, so are are then these clones, are they self-aware of their state of cloneness? Can they want to do something else? Or uh, are they fully sort of committed to fighting that, for that's, the Republic? That, that's, that's, it's um, kind of a tricky situation there because there are clones that both are completely um, subservient and there are other ones that kind of break out of their their mind washing or whatever you want to call it and have their own lives. Um, they, they actually have a whole, whole episode of the show, Clone Wars, that went on for like six seasons uh, about a clone that, that deserts the, the clone army and starts a family and he is discovered by other clones and they have this whole dilemma about what they have to do with this lone clone trooper they found that no longer wants to be part of the army. Yeah, well, I think that kind of goes then directly to this question that Seth and I were bantering around about this idea of if you are a clone and you are fighting, can you consent to, you know, give your life up for the Republic? Can you agree to do that? Or has that decision kind of been taken from you? It's completely taken from them. They, they actually have... Um like mind washing stuff and and they when they're trained they're they're at very at a very young age when they're cloned and they're they they're, they're trained how to fight and they're they're trained to do what they're told and to back that up because it's Star Wars and it has to be super evil they also have you know like a microchip in their head that forces them to do something if they're if if the government really wants them to do it oh so yes, it's like they, multiple levels of like psychological and physical coercion Yes, the, the, a, a group of the clones actually find that out in the Clone Wars show, and they re, they remove their inhibitor microchips. So, Robert, aside from the movies, what is part of the official Star Wars canon? The official Star Wars canon uh, actually a few years ago was condensed. There were probably a hundred novels uh, and comic books and things that that were part of the canon until Disney acquired Star Wars mm-hmm. that are no longer officially part of the canon. Unfortunately, most of the stuff that, that deals with clones is no longer part of the official canon because they haven't touched on it much since the Disney bought the Star Wars uh, brand. So, Okay, uh, and then there was a Clone Wars series, and was there also a miniseries? I, I've watched an episode or two, but I'm not totally clear. There, there was a miniseries from the early 2000s that is no longer part of the canon. Okay. It, and then there is a like a six season show that was on on Cartoon Network that uh, is officially canon. Do you think that sort of the condensing of the canon to kind of leave out this clone part? Do you think it was just Disney trying to simplify sort of storylines and characters, or do you think it's sort of a, a more if we're moving towards a more sort of family friendly perspective for whether for merchandising or for content creation that we kind of have to take away the fact that there's a major slave force because it's not as palatable to audiences what are your thoughts on that oh no i i, I think that it, it's mostly um to get rid of an extremely convoluted canon that they had they had dozens and dozens of authors all working in the same in the same universe without a ton of direction they were basically just we'll, we'll give you this time frame go write your story and we'll we'll fix it if you have any major contradictions with other official canon stuff because you were i mean i know you were a pretty big fan of the book series right or at least some oh, strains I've, of it i i i have uh i've signed copies of many of the books from from several authors i actually i met my favorite author a couple of years ago and and talked to him specifically about that question whether or not what he was allowed to do and what 
what restrictions they put on him as far as writing the novels. And he told me basically that's what I told you is that he, they gave him a time frame, like you're allowed to do this so many years here and here in the storyline, and a, a ba- really basic idea of what he could and couldn't do. Uh, that he had free reign, and that's what caused a lot of the contradictions in the canon and why um, they kind of rebooted it with Episode Seven and getting rid of a lot of the novels and comic books that they did. They did. Do you think that there's something to be said? Like, what are what are your thoughts on them kind of carrying this idea of clones forward in the new series? I have seen the latest movie. And... Uh, they. Oh, go ahead. No, go, you can. What was your No, your just do you think that they're going to carry sort of the clones forward as this sort of direct slave labor force with no agency or ability, or do you think that they're starting to kind of maybe shy away from that a little bit? Um, well, it, it's it's definitely in the Clone Wars. A, a, a most mo, the Clone Wars cartoon, which is canon, most of this stuff comes right out of that. There are there is there is a a series of books written by a woman named Karen Travis called the Republic Commando series that she actually wrote it from the perspective that the clone, the clones were slaves. That was actually the take she took on it. But I have a quote I can read in a minute if you'd like, but we love quotes. Yeah. I, I, I caught that in your, (laughs) we we Uh, love them, but it's definitely nothing they shy away from. They, they definitely embrace the fact that these troopers didn't have agency of their own. Uh, so, it's it's even something in the current te- the current cartoon they do the Star Wars Rebels. Uh, there are clones that survived the Clone Wars and have been cast off by the Empire and had to find their own things to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I recall in Episode Two when they were the clones were children, and so that brings up at least some corollary to child soldiers, like in what type of indoctrination they might go through. The fact that even with child soldiers in like Africa and elsewhere, where they might start as below 18, but then as they keep going, they become adults. And then, you know, what do you do with them then? But they were essentially children who were brainwashed or who went through a process and then became adults, which I would think some of that would play with uh, stormtroopers, too. Do you know anything about the youth process with stormtroopers with with the stormtroopers or clone troopers that's actually that's I'm, actually a very different thing uh with the clones with the clones they were basically a grown in a laboratory and from adolescence they were trained to be soldiers so they, they could have been used as child soldiers and in fact in the clone wars cartoon uh some of them that are getting ready to become clones troopers are are struggling with we don't really want to do this but we don't have a choice so there actually was a, a series of troopers that they wanted to do in another season. They got canceled called the Bad Batch. That his it was it was kind of like reject troopers that didn't that didn't conform as much as they wanted to or had some sort of physical problems, deformities or whatever. And they 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 were clones that were cast aside, but they they still had to find something for them to do because they weren't really people to them. They, they were just property. I am so then maybe. What strikes me, though, is what sort of the clarifying question you asked Seth is, so what's the difference then between a clone trooper and a storm trooper? Is that the storm troopers have choice? No, uh, storm troopers are actually conscripted, you know, just like the it's like a modern military. They're they're well, they're either conscripted or they're um, volunteers. They, 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 they have done both in the in the Star Wars previous canon, which makes it, again, convoluted 
So are they conscripts or are they people that volunteered? And, and they've gone more like the volunteer force in the new canon. But in previous in previous Star Wars iterations, they definitely had conscripted stormtroopers as well. Yeah, because I'm thinking that if it's conscription or a draft, whether than by choice, then while the path that got them there is different, the end result of not having a lot of choice or of not having decision making to to leave or to have modified behavior is kind of very similar than in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, based a lot of the the prequel trilogy storylines on his actual his actual life and growing up in the Vietnam War era. So the clones are kind of an of an allegory for going to serve in Vietnam, being drafted and not having any choice in the matter. Right. Well, in terms of stormtroopers, I, I can't help but think of the character of Finn, who seemed to have become a stormtrooper when he was young and not have known anything different. And that even raises questions with me. And I should say that's in A Force Awakens for the audience. That, like, if that was your only experience, what would even cause that sort of humanitarian turn or question or what might he have seen? But uh, what, what do you think about the path of the character of Finn? Uh, um, for, for Finn, he was a, he was a kid um, that was raised to be a, basically a child soldier. But again, he didn't know anything differently, but he wasn't forced or brainwashed in any sort of way, to my knowledge, in, in the new Star Wars canon. Um, but he, then the mission you see in the very beginning of Episode 7, The Force Awakens, was his first actual combat mission. And when he is confronted with the death of his friend, if you remember in the movie, the other stormtrooper that he he's beside dies and uh, places his hand on Finn's helmet leaves the blood streak on, on Finn's helmet. That kind of makes Finn realize he doesn't want to be a soldier. This isn't, this isn't what he's cut out for. And that's when he decides to, to leave. I mean, it, they don't want him to leave. Obviously they, they chase him and try to kill him and all that, but he, they still have free will to, to a larger extent than, than a clone trooper would. And so then my next question would be, what is the life actually if they've given any detail on it, what is like sort of the day-to-day -day life of a clone soldier or the day-to-day -day life of a stormtrooper? Because one of the things that we'll hear, and maybe we'll talk about Austin Chwai Fitzpatrick's book, but one of the things that we hear a lot from modern day traffickers or from historical slavers is this idea that they're getting a level of care or a level of attention by being held in bondage, that's greater than what they would have received at home. You hear this all the time in stories about people who are trying to kind of reconcile antebellum slavery with this idea, well, they had food, they had housing, they had a small level of education. Is it in any way thought to be slightly better to, you know, actually be a clone soldier or to be a stormtrooper than it is to be sort of a random human being on a planet out there in the world? Well, I, I, and I guess that would depend because in Star Wars there are an infinite number of worlds and an infinite, infinite number of conditions that you could come from. You could come from a world that's that's an awful place to live on, and be, you know joining the Imperial military could be your way out of that, and it could be a better way. Um, that would be from a stormtrooper point of view, where you could actually join of your own free will. For a clone, assuming that they they would have been born and existed outside of being a clone. Um, on on their home planet of Mandalore, for where their their progenitor came from, 
it was uh, a world that is kind of like a mashup between a Scottish clan society and a, and a Greco-Roman militaristic society. And I think that they obviously would have had a better life on that planet because they, they were all taught to be warriors on Mandalore, but you were also uh, you were farmers or tradesmen as well. Like you had a normal life. As a clone trooper, they were they were bred for war, expected to die. They actually had a shorter lifespan because they were they were rapidly aged to adulthood. They didn't they didn't have you know 18 years as a clone trooper. They were actually genetically accelerated to be uh, adults in, a, in, a, in a, just a few a few years basically. So yeah, I, I think that the clone troopers' lives were were absolutely less because they were they were mm-hmm. in the military. But the clones still have like individual thought and individual feeling. That was what I'm getting for you from you. Uh, uh, yeah, they they and and to to juxtapose the their enemy in Star Wars is the the separatist army, which is all populated by by battle droids by robots. The droids don't have any autonomy to 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 think freely. They just are, are told by their controllers to go here and, and capture this point and attack these people and whatnot. The clones were – that was their advantage is they all had their own autonomous thought. But again, they had – they were controlled as well. They had the, the microchips in their head and they were, they were forced to do things. The best example of that in the movies, which, which most, most people probably have seen as opposed to the cartoon, is uh, – the emperor gives order 66 which is a pre which is a directive that is implanted in their brain and order 66 requires them to kill the jedi turn on their jedi masters actually basically they're actually like the masters that control them and kill their masters yeah that was actually one of the things i was thinking of especially after episode 2 where obi-wan is introduced as master jedi and everything and then they're turned so you that's attributed to a microchip you think yeah, it, it, well, it's not in the movie so much, but it, it could just be a, a brainwashing in the movie. But they go back in the cartoon and actually explain that they actually have all of a microchip implanted in their head that, that disallows free will ultimately. Okay. They they actually have some sort of inhibitor chip and they have to do whatever that says. And the clones – a group of the clones discover it uh, late in the cartoon series and actually remove their chips and – um, those are the ones they follow in the, in the successive cartoon series that is ongoing now, Rebels. So suddenly all of the scenes of sort of the clones getting mowed down in the early films, it's not its not as simple as we're just mowing down machines. It's we're killing people. Yeah, people that would absolutely, if they were allowed to, to be people, do end up becoming individuals and having lives outside of the military for those few that do actually escape the military lifestyle. And so probably wouldn't be shooting you in the first place if they had a choice. Probably not, no. Yeah, we see this come up, sort of this question. I mean, it's not phrased in the form of, like, clones or stormtroopers, which is a little, I think actually might be really useful <laughs> to use sort of more pop culture references when we're talking about human trafficking. But when we have sort of academic discussions on whether it's it's moral or ethical or if it falls under the laws of war for a military to engage with forces that employ child soldiers is it okay to fire on people who are firing on you but not necessarily because of choice is there any sort of in any i mean even if the books largely been discounted does star wars ever try to deal with sort of this like ethical conundrum of is it okay for us to kill these people or is it just sort of a general 
well, they're clones. We kind of have to. Well, I mean, the in in Star Wars, it they they go over the top, and and the Empire is an evil entity oh, yeah. trying to subjugate the entire galaxy and whatnot. They're giant Nazis. Yes, but um, in the in the most recent film, they actually show um, a little bit darker side of the rebellion in in um, uh, Rogue One, the very beginning of Rogue One. Uh, one of the one of the protagonists, Cassian Andor, actually shoots his his contact to keep his contact from falling into the hands of the of the Empire. So it shows that like even the even the rebellion isn't opposed to doing what must be done to to get through this stuff. Yeah, it's not so much necessarily good guys and bad guys as sort of the the lesser of two evil two evils, which I think is kind of interesting because I mean like as someone who's a very Star Wars novice. I've seen the movies maybe once each. I'm married to a huge Star Wars nerd, but like that's kind of my extent into this world. I think how it's normally phrased to kind of casual viewers is there's the light side and there's the dark side, and the dark side is pure evil, and anyone working under that entity is also evil. So when the Dust Star blows up, we're not sad that like a janitor got yeah. caught up in that probably too. But what you're suggesting, I think, is that because it's sort of a power structure, it's much more insidious in terms of having people work for it and maybe work for it without their approval or their desire to work for it. Yeah, they they actually, in the last year or so, came out with a book called Lost Stars that is part of the new canon. Um, and it deals directly with not necessarily clones, but um, young younger people in the imperial military as opposed to the republic military, which would be uh, there in the, the original trilogy timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, join up with the Imperial military early in, the, you know, they're, they're 14, 15 years old or so, and it follows them as they grow up, and reali- one of them realizes that I need to get out of here, I can't be a part of this, and the other one says, I don't really agree with this, but I signed up for it, and I have this sense of honor to stick with it. Like, they, we aren't all bad. So they, they actually are trying to blur those lines even more between the, the, the light side being everything that's right and pure in Star Wars on the dark side being everything that's that's evil and wrong. And does the dark side, and I think this is mentioned more so in, in the newer films, but does does the dark side in terms of going into these sort of infinite worlds that might be incredibly barbaric or incredibly dangerous, do they bring anything in terms of like establishing normalcy? Do they build hospitals? And then in turn kind of gain conscripts or, or sign or people who volunteered that way or... Oh yeah, the 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 Empire um, in Star Wars, uh, even in the new canon, or especially in the new canon, I should say, they try to establish the fact that the Empire brings peace and order, and will bring things like hospitals and education and uh, a stable government with it. But then again, you get the dark side of that, where whether or not you want to be part of it, they're going to force you to be part of it. I am just kind of shocked that there's not more or a because i did a quick google search and couldn't find any of sort of like star wars and international relations because this is very like it's a lot of the similar themes that are brought up when we talk about colonialization and the positives that come with someone sort of stepping in and saying okay well now there's going to be institutions there's going to be infrastructure but you don't have a choice in what we're bringing but it might on paper be a hell of a lot better than what you had previously and then there's kind of these secondary effects, which is that now you have a volunteer force. Or, well, I guess in, in the older version, not so much, perhaps now can, canonically, a draft force. 
And then I'm also wondering within, are there, are there sort of people beyond the clones and the storm troopers sort of working for the dark side, quote unquote, or for the Imperial the, forces? The empire. The empire. The, the empire. No, no terms. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, they, they get really confusing with, with the new, the new episodic movies because they've changed mm-hmm. the empire from the empire to the first order. So it gets really confusing for people that aren't really into the minutiae of star Wars. I am. Yeah. But, um, oh yeah, they're the stormtroopers would be like, kind of like the Marines mm-hmm. as for like one branch of the military. Uh, they're also, they also have like Naval officers, fighter pilots in, in the Imperial military. There are politicians and, and, and everything, you know, bureaucrats, it, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be uh, too dissimilar from any modern political structure other than there's an, an emperor, a dictator, as opposed to, you know, a, a Western-style democracy. Mm-hmm. All this talk about clones has made me think of Orphan Black, which uh, I'll try to be late on the spoilers for those of you who, have, who haven't seen that very excellent show. But it involves clones, and the clones are owned by a corporation. And when we start talking about slavery and trafficking, Ownership is part of it, and when you have property, such as an orphan black, you can ask, well, does that give you a certain right to do what you want with that property, including terminating that property? Is there a concept of legal ownership of stormtroopers or something similar to that, or employee status, or anything in that vernacular? Um. I don't believe in 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 the writing or or in the the movies or anything anywhere that they are specifically owned. I guess the 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 Republic buys and pays for the clone troopers, so okay. they 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 they're they're ordered. Um, actually, they're actually ordered by a Jedi Master, which is unbeknownst to any other Jedi in in the Jedi Order. They they're they're kind of shocked that he would do that. And he's not a character you ever see on screen, so it, it makes it kind of confusing. But um, it's something they just mention. But there's also you also have to consider um, the plight of droids in Star Wars. You know, they they are they are owned property, but by a lot of standards, they're actually living beings. They they can think on their own. They they exist. They 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 are self sufficient, and they're completely owned in Star Wars. Yeah, I mean. C-3PO as is shown to be a very sentient person, and among other things, we, we show his mind being wiped at the end of Episode 3. Yeah, and uh, he's being bought and sold in the beginning of the original Star Wars. He, he also has an inhibitor device placed upon us that he can't leave. And he, throughout the entire series, he is terrified for his life. He doesn't want to be destroyed. He wants to continue living. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the in Star Wars there's a lot of sort of this personification of machines too. I mean, there's a reason why kids love BB-8. It's a machine, but it's cute. It emotes in a way. And certainly people interact with a lot of the machines that they sort of talk to in the Star Wars universe as if they are people. Yeah. I mean, that, which, yeah, it's, I mean, like I, I wouldn't go that far with, with clones, but with droids, especially, they're almost seen. They're seen as property or pets. I mean, they're they're treated in, in a lot of similar ways as you would treat your your dog or your cat. I mean, you 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 might feel bad if they go away, but ultimately you can just get another dog or cat. They have more of a transient nature than another human being. Yeah, but again, like I was trying to say, by by a, a lot of 
um, measuring sticks, your droids in Star Wars are just as alive as a human being. My the other thing that I'm wondering about too is sort of the the non-humanoid aliens or sort of the aliens that are clearly present in in the universe but are not they're not depicted as speaking English or they're not depicted as being at all remotely human. Is there some sort of implicit like hierarchy of positioning or do they have just as much sort of agency and movement as people? It hasn't been touched on as much since Disney bought Star Wars. But again, that could be that could be some toning down of, of implied racism or whatnot that Disney has mm-hmm. brought in. Or it also could be that they've only had it for a few years and haven't had time to build up a backlog of, of canon work. Um, and I guess we'll never really know. But in Star Wars, there was a long history of alien races being second-class citizens. If, if you look at the movies, the, the, the original trilogy movies, the Empire are all white men. There, there aren't even any females in Imperial uniform in Star Wars that I've ever seen, and I've seen the movies a lot. <laughs> um, I'm like picturing you with a whiteboard being like, I'm going to take a tally. Yeah, no, pre- well, I mean, a mental tally for sure. I've done, I've done that. I've, I've gone through the movies and, and watched for these things. But the, uh, the, the Empire's all, and particularly British for some reason, white men. For some reason, the, the British accent is an evil accent in Star Wars. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, no, the uh, aliens in the Star Wars universe are definitely second-class citizens, and it's it's almost like that white man's burden thing for the Empire, that they, they, they want to civilize the alien races and make things better for them by being in control. And it might just be that I'm misunderstanding it, but the, the initial reason why Han and Chewie are together is that Chewie owes Han a debt, right? A, a life debt, yes. He, he's, sworn, he's sworn his life to protect Han. Unfortunately, spoilers for the new episode seven movie. He failed in that 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 uh, mission, but uh, yeah. So is is Chewbacca? Would Chewbacca then? Do you think would Chewbacca count as a slave because he consented to sell, to sort of to give himself to Han, or do you think no because it's it's done with choice? Oh, I or I mean, or culturally, does Chewie not have a choice? I I, I think he's honor bound to stay with Han, but I think it's also. Uh, they see each other sort of like brothers. They, they've come to love each other as family almost. And it, it's really... Well, I'm not talking about like at end stage, Han and Chewie, when they've been together forever, but like sort of initially. Well, he, he, he swears his life that. So I mean, there, there are cultures that have that sort of thing around the world. And I'm not an expert on those, unfortunately. But the take in Star Wars is that Chewie can leave anytime he wants. That, that's, the, that's the implication is that if Chewie really wanted oh, okay. to leave and... I, I don't I don't see where why Han would say no you can't leave you swore life debt to me I mean that's, mm-hmm. Han's not that kind of guy in Star Wars but I, I'm sure there ha, there you could find an example somewhere of someone abusing their their Wookiee life debt. I was gonna say he wouldn't be like ostracized from the Wookiee community. Oh no, he, never he's, to return. He he's definitely not ostracized from the Wookiee community. He's actually sort of revered. And as I'm thinking through Star Wars, which I've seen several times. Perhaps a more traditional human trafficking criminal organization would be something that you see in Jabba's palace. What do you think, Robert? About it being a, a traditional criminal well, organization? Having some, well, having a criminal organization where you seem to have some images of people who are owned or chained or who Jabba just has 
the choice of whether to let them live or die or kill them. Oh, for, for sure. Um, there, there are the dancing girls in his in his throne room that are that are actually called Jabba's slave girls. They they and they wear chains and they're required to dance for his pleasure. He also does the same thing with R two D two and C three PO. He turns them into into his slaves to translate form. Or in the case of R two D two, he served drinks on his sail barge. I mean, there there aren't there aren't a ton of examples because it's only it's only the first act of the movie, but they 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 are implied there for sure. Right, and Princess Leia and Chains. Oh yeah, obviously. Image. I, I don't know how I forgot that one, but yes, she's she's also required <laughs> to be um, there for his amusement, shall we say? I'm just kind of shocked that, or do they? And I've just missed it. Do do people ever reference the clones themselves as slaves? Or they because clearly slaves exist, and the mean the the name slavery has the same meaning in the Star Wars universe as it does here. So is there ever sort of this, oh, clones are slaves? Or is it just considered that they're a, a separate class or a separate entity? Or do people not know? Well, clearly they know the clones are clones. Their names are clones. Yeah, they're, they're, it's the, the clone army or the, they're clone troopers. But um, as far as I know, and I mean, my, my knowledge of Star Wars isn't exhaustive, unfortunately. But I... I <laughs> You're pretty close. I, I try to be really good at this stuff. Uh, it It wasn't ever talked about as them being slaves mm-hmm. and i i think it, it might have been mental gymnastics on the part of the jedi and the way that the, the jedi perceive it is that if we don't think of them as slaves this isn't as bad to be throwing them in front of these you know be throwing, throwing them in front of the cannons as it is otherwise if they maybe have a choice in the matter but like like i was saying before the the author karen travis wrote the the novels for the books that she had the republic commandos which follow like a an elite team of clone troopers um she wrote it from the perspective that they were slaves and that it was kind of implied in all of her writing the jedi really weren't that good of people they were better than the sith because the sith are totally evil but the jedi are far from innocent in all of this because they they're they're employing slave labor slave military to to get to their their means done and then just to kind of maybe reinforce your point so it's the clones are also, though, aware. How how self-aware are the clones? Because you've mentioned that if they can get a, if if they can get away, or if they're sort of able to gain freedom, they form sort of independent personalities and and they start families and they have sort of alternative lives that aren't militaristic. Are the clones then in the thick of it? Are they like are they aware that they're clones? Are they are they aware that they don't have free choice of the will? Are they aware that they don't have independence, but they could have independence? How much? Sort of. Well, like it, there's that there's a one episode of the of the cartoon uh, called The Deserter, I believe it is. They actually they find that one trooper, like I was telling you, who has he, he's gotten away and has started a life of his own, um, and they are actually like required to to report that he's he's deserted, and it's they're compelled to do so. And um, the captain, this clone trooper captain, in, initially finds like a mental loophole. He he says, "Hit me over the head so I forget." Basically, so he he knows he needs to do it. And he doesn't want to, and he, he's he's compelled. He he finds a way to get around it. He 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 wants to be made to forget that he found these people, found this this other trooper. I mean, yeah, because I guess that's sort of my my initial question, and this is also. Again, 
tying back to history, we see this when there were uh, slave regiments in the Civil War fighting for the South. This idea of, well, why don't the, in battle, why don't the clones immediately lay down their arms in you know, service of the rebellion? Or why do they refuse? And it, it seems to be is that they can't actually refuse. Oh, I'm, I'm sure if, if the clones set, set their, their arms down, they would just hit the button and make them pick it back up again because they, with their inhibitor chips, like mm-hmm. a slave in the Civil War would have the, the ultimate choice of saying, well, I can either fight and maybe die or I could refuse to fight and they will kill me most likely. Mm-hmm. It, it, for the clones, it's not they, – they don't really have a choice in the matter because they, they have the, had that free will taken away completely ultimately by, by science. <laughs> yeah. It's not just that it's sort of – they're conditioned. It's that there literally is physically something in their brain meat that's telling them what they can and can't do. Uh, both. I mean, they, they were also, you know, uh, conditioned to follow orders and like any military uh, member of the military is, is, is ta- taught to do. But they they went beyond that to have the ultimate fail safe where you literally, if we want you to, cannot go against our, our orders. I think it's super interesting that they specifically built – People, I mean, the same person repeatedly, but they built people in a lab that they, then they did sort of lifelong conditioning, even though it's a shorter life. All sorts of psychological coercion. But then there's also this fear that that's not going to be enough. So we need to take it one step further and actually go on the machine end of things. Is it why? What is the appeal of having a clone then over having just like a droid? Well, like I said, What's... like I said before, the, the, the clones ultimately have an autonomy. They, they, mm-hmm. they can think for themselves and they, they can say, on the battlefield, we need to do this, this, and this to achieve our objective, while the droids will ultimately just stand there until they are told what to do by their controller. Like, they, they, they have much less autonomy. Could there not be machines, though, with, like, artificial intelligence or yeah, um, machines? Yeah, but that, that's basically what they made in the Clone Troopers, though, if you think about it. They, they ultimately don't have free will, but they're... They they think like an artificial intelligence. They're they're much. It's much quicker and and faster than a, a robot. Well, and JJ, there's some big overarching themes in Star Wars. Number of them, hero's journey, and so on. But there's also this empire as this cold technocracy with all this technology, and then people representing more of a humanity and something that's the opposite of that technocracy. And so when you see stormtroopers with chips and everything, it just kind of reinforces that technocracy, I think. Would you agree with that, Robert? Or Yeah, I mean... Well, it, have a thought on that? Ultimately, the Empire has to be evil, and, and the em- the Emperor is behind all of it, and he is he is the big bad guy of, of, of Star Wars. So he has to do the ultimate evil things and, and take away your free will and, and do it through t- through technology and and evil means i just i think it's so interesting that you can simultaneously have slaves but then also have clones and have them functionally be kind of i mean very very much the same thing we would label them as the same thing just in different spheres but it's not so much discussed as sort of the jedi creating this forced military that's interesting i think it's a little weird it's it certainly doesn't fit with us with the light versus dark no, it, 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 it's it, something that the graying of light versus dark and, and like finding a middle ground or, or, or blending them is actually something that they, they really examine in those cartoons. 
and even even if you if you watched the the trailer for the newest Star Wars, Luke says in the trailer, "It's time for the Jedi Order to die." Like being, and you you can infer from that whatever you'd like, but ultimately, to me, that says, and the way they've been going with blending the light and dark to make more of a gray area in the Force, is that the pure ideal of the Jedi obviously isn't working. So they do that a lot in, in the new star Wars, like where everything isn't pure and, and light. And I think that actually grows out of the, the fact that they have to deal with the, the Jedi conscripted this army of clones and use them. And it, you, you can't be, you can't be light and pure and innocent of, of all wrongdoing. If you've also enslaved millions and millions of people to die for you that you created to be enslaved yes that you know you went beyond just rather than enslaving them you actually created them to die for you do you then kind of agree or disagree with i've heard george lucas like i've seen i've seen him quote a number of times saying that star wars is, is meant for children and only for children that it's not really meant for a sphere of like adult viewership do you then agree or disagree because this is heavy stuff this is not well they're like like any good story, ultimately the, there are layers you can peel back like an onion. I mean, the the things on the surface are definitely for kids. I mean, things like Jar Jar Binks or uh, Yoda is cute, and or or like yeah. you mentioned BB-8. Those things that the the kids can can grab onto those, and they can you know buy merchandise and all that too. But <laughs> you know he actually spoke about it at the the 40th anniversary. Uh, panel that he did uh, a few weeks ago in Orlando, he said that Star Wars is for kids and it teaches them how you know right from wrong and and how, how, what what it's like, what it's like to grow up the hero's journey with Luke and what it's you know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But having grown up with Star Wars, and starting from you know the hero's journey with Luke that was really cool, and then now being a 33 year old man, um, and still loving Star Wars as much as I did when I was a kid, I have learned that. There, Star Wars can get really deep, and and the rabbit hole is almost endless on 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 where you want to go with it. And I think that the 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 story George Lucas tells in the prequel movies is excellent. It wasn't it wasn't always executed well in his filmmaking, at But I think the story he tries to tell is actually really excellent. And unfortunately, the movies kind of get in the way of that. I'm just it's it's again I keep coming back to it's. It's a popular thing now in international relations to sort of tie, to try and tie major topics to sort of pop culture phenomenon. Uh, Dan Dresner, of course, is perhaps famous for his IR theory and zombies book that he sort of combines the two. How, are, how is the zombie pandemic similar to, to a variety of theories in IR? And I'm just, I find it curious that there aren't more offerings then that tie to Star Wars because I'm thinking about as someone who teaches human trafficking and sort of teaches slavery, which is hard to do, especially in the U.S. and a Western context, right? Because we have this great looming history that makes a lot of people uncomfortable about this idea of slavery. So to me, it's clones seem like a fantastic example and a fantastic tool, but I, I haven't really heard them discussed much at all. Well, I think with science fiction in general or fantasy there there is the debate on whether star wars is science fiction or fantasy but the fact that you have alternate worlds that have elements of our worlds and part of what i love is the speculative nature of taking things that are familiar and putting them in unfamiliar context 
the fact that we can reflect on our lives and and maybe see what would be the potential like ethical dilemmas of certain things like right now cloning is in its very elementary stages we're not at the point where we could create a clone army of humans but a hundred years from now who knows and it, it's a way to sit, ask some of these questions by looking at okay in a galaxy far far away a long time ago and this is what it could look like and what what would that mean what would we do you know how, how would we categorize these people or are they really people if you're a droid and you're sentient? Star Wars is interesting, too, because so many people have opinions. Like, probably people will have a bunch of opinions on this podcast because it's Star Wars. Don't and people that. feel strongly. <laughs> and that that's part of what's cool about doing, uh, about interweaving these. But then even me being in human trafficking, I haven't thought as much about certain parts of Star Wars. So like watching Rogue One and seeing, you know, some really gritty, rough, ethically less comfortable decisions, but being like, it's a rebellion. That's realistic. But then I don't think as much about a slave army. And so e even with this, there, there's some things that are easy to escape attention. Those are some of my thoughts. And any other thoughts, Robert? What? I, I had never thought about the clone army as a slave force either until you guys approached me to do this. And it's actually in, in the five or six days it's been since you asked me, it has been uh, ever. <laughs> We're super planners over here. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> ever present on my mind. I, I, I've, I've been scouring my own my own memory of Star Wars, um, consulting the Internet, of course, and. Now it's something I'm never going to be able to remove from Star Wars. Thanks, guys. I mean, this is this is oh, well, no, no, yeah. in a good way. It, it, it gives me another right. one of those layers to uh, think about. It, it, it makes Star Wars a little more complex and satisfying for my mind is more than just the the science fiction fantasy, uh, you know, wizards in space sort of thing. No, and I think one of the things that's been most interesting for me is how much this clearly does parallel or at least the clone, the clone and stormtroopers occasionally being deployed in either the same area or being kind of a combined force, how very similar to force military movements. This is where it's actually, you have a mix of people who have been conscripted and have no choice Versus people who have been born into sort of a, in particular, I'm thinking of like gorilla camps, like the Tamil Tigers. They've been born into it. They've been indoctrinated. They don't know anything else outside of that. In some cases, they don't even have the local language. So you have no choice but to remain in military. So that would be kind of similar to the clones. The difference being clones have no free choice of will whatsoever. And then you have military officers or other people in the ranks who are completely volunteer who had other options but chosen to this, and you can have those three people all intermingled fighting. It can be very hard to separate who is who at, at sort of an elemental level. And I think that that's really interesting. Um, and I think is certainly something that, like, if I were teaching, say, like, an undergrad class on child soldiers, this might be a good intro to. 
Well, I'll, I'll add though that that intermixing we don't always think about, but that can be tr- that's been true in brothels, that's true oh, in yeah. places of employment, and it's not something that's always thought about in the discourse. That it's not always just a hundred percent pure trafficked or slave people. Yeah, I'd say if you go to any sort of mass agricultural process, I know I know Grant's up in Maine right now, but so like mass blueberry farming tends to have a mix of people who are there by complete choice of complete choice. They had a lot of other options. They're considered high quality sort of agricultural workers. They could have gone kind of anywhere for the season. People who this is really their only opportunity to make any form of money or they're traveling with family. And so they have to be working in the fields, but they're making very minimal money. They're maybe vaguely exploited by their employers. And then people who are there through no choice whatsoever, people who have been forced into farming and aren't receiving any benefit from it. And you can have those three people be in the same family. You can have those three people be living in the same trailer or tent or working for the same company. And that's why I think law enforcement tends to focus so much on prostitution, where it seems like at least at first blush, it's a little bit easier to separate out the cases. But I don't know if I had if I had a clone and I didn't know what the original FET looked like and then I had a regular stormtrooper and they didn't have the handy dandy uniforms, how would I know which one is which? Right? No, I I, I think I you're mean, right. I mean, the in the average person in Star Wars, the average person that lives in the Star Wars galaxy wouldn't know the difference. They they actually have very little in, interaction day to day with a stormtrooper or a, a clone trooper for that matter. The viewer, the audience, has much more interaction because you follow those stories. But um, in mm-hmm. Star Wars, it's, it's kind of implied that day-to-day life is day-to-day life, and you aren't—you don't have this ever-present like stormtrooper hanging over you. But when you do, um, it's very scary. You—that's why. Getting back to what you said um, about them coming into the, the Empire, coming into an area and civilizing it. Mm-hmm. The stormtroopers are very intimidating in those white uniforms and their guns, and and you can't see their face and all that. So that 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 is it's part of the intimidation and the compliance, where it doesn't really matter if, if they're forced or if they're clones or if they're there willingly, they're going to be just as effective. So those are most of our major thoughts. Uh, so Robert, are there any other themes or ideas that you've researched that you want to bring up? I, I think I've hit on most everything that I can think of, unless you guys have something else you want to talk about. No, that's it, unless you have sort of, sort of parting words on, I guess, my, my final and ending one. Why well, have two? The first question is, did Han shoot first? The second question <laughs> is, do you think sort of this idea of the rebel forces or the anti-Empire forces moving beyond the idea that Jedi initially created the storm, not the stormtrooper, initially created the clones. Do you think that they also engage in sort of slavery or profit from slavery in any way, by the way that they continuously are getting sometimes quite young people up into their ranks to fight or no? Um, well, to answer your first question, it's not that Han shot first. It's just Han shot. Uh, Greedo never actually shoots his gun in the original star Wars. Um, they changed it in the special edition, but um, to, get, to get to the more serious second question. I just knew the internet would want me to ask the okay. first one. Well, that, that, ho- hopefully that, that question alone cements my Star Wars uh, bona fides. Cred. Yeah. Uh, but 
um, I think with, with, with any sort of um, like uh, renegade military force or, or a rebellion sort of organization, you are going to have people that, for whatever reason, who are younger, that are going to join up and, and you're going to be able to use, uh, like in the French resistance in World War II, they, they, had, they had younger people, um, especially, especially women, helping. And uh, for whatever reason, their, their family was killed. By, in, that, in that case, by you know, German soldiers or, or whatnot. There are a lot of reasons to join up, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever had the, the impression that the rebellion in Star Wars was, uh, forcing anyone to help them. I think it, it, they were always seen as, as the, the people trying to restore uh, the Republic, and and you know a Western style democracy to Star Wars. I just wonder because, as you pointed out in Rogue One, we start to see sort of this gritty, we have to do what we have to do sort of mentality and just as you know from being a historian and then sort of Seth and I know from being in this field there's been lots of cases of people who kind of are allies who do raid and rescue type operations and human trafficking who are like well listen what we did was immoral but it's necessary and I just wondered if that stretched into sort of forced labor I, I, um, short of getting back to the, the droid scenario I don't I don't I don't mm-hmm. I don't know of anything in, in Star Wars that Says the, the where they say the rebellion makes you do anything like that. The only example would be the most recent with Rogue One, where they they kind of make Jyn Erso the the main protagonist character go find her father, but she also wants to because she hasn't seen him in in fifteen years or whatever it's been. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there's kind of that gray area where, where they they kind of coerce her a little bit, where they say we can throw you back in a jail or you can go do this for us. But ultimately, I think she wanted to do it anyway because she was fighting with a, with a, a separate rebel force before that anyway like i i think she has a proclivity to do it anyway i just think it's so interesting because technically Jyn Erso under under international trafficking laws where it's just you have to prove force fraud or coercion would have a claim legally oh, I, i'm speaking, sure that that, that that they were a trafficking victim but but what we're but what we see all the time like sort of anecdotally dealing with victims and survivors of human trafficking is that force fraud and coercion isn't enough of a definition because as as you pointed out, there's also sort of inclination. There's what were your feelings going into? Yeah, it. I mean, well, they they very briefly touch on it in Rogue One, where she she joins uh, Forrest Whitaker's characters, his separate sect of a rebellion, and they're much more um, militaristic than than the than the rebellion is at first. The rebellion you see in the movies actually started out as a, as a political movement. They were trying that like they're, they're led by senators, Senator Mon Mothma, Senator Bail Organa. They were originally trying to get these changes through their government. And they realized eventually that it wasn't going to work. So we need, we need to go to a military organization. But uh, Forrest Whitaker's character knew that that wasn't going to work immediately or wasn't willing to try that. And he, he indoctrinated her because he was friends with her parents into being a paramilitary rebel uh, and, you know, almost like a terrorist blowing people up and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. there's a gray area there with him, perhaps, um, whether she she was too young to know any different or she was just mad that her parents were gone and she, she was willing to mm-hmm. do it. But as far as, as the rebellion in Star Wars, as it would be classically considered, if you consider classical Star Wars anything, the, the 1977 rebellion for the original Star Wars, no, I don't think that they would have any done that, but 
they're, again, they're, they're blurring the yeah. lines with everything now They, they it, cause, because it makes better television or movies anyway. Yeah, I just I think it's so interesting because, again, to not not to just harp on on Rogue One so much, uh, because that's kind of a drop in the Star Wars canon bucket, if you will. But this idea that her father is clearly trafficked by the Empire and that he's doing a thing, he's working for a thing that he doesn't want to do in any way, shape or form. And they're literally forcing him to do so but then when he chooses to work for them in order to insert a flaw that then is a debate that we have a lot of times in trafficking where occasionally we have people who can gain their freedom but choose to stay for a specific reason and then that's sort of a modern question that we struggle with is if you are enslaved but you have the ability to leave or you have the ability to escape but you choose to stay for whatever reason um anecdotally we've had we've had it before where survivors have chosen to stay in sex trafficking in order to offer what they thought was protection to other people they were trafficked with by staying in the group we have people who are in working conditions who choose to stay because they feel that they've devoted too much time to it and then in his case i mean it's it's that he's creating a way for the death star to blow up and kind of a not necessarily easy but not overly complicated way so does he still count as being a slave then if you they they actually um because it's star wars and they have to they have to monetize everything they do um they actually did a a tie-in novel for rogue one which is it's kind of like the prequel to Mm-hmm. Uh, to Rogue One, where they explain where uh, before Jin is even born, she she's actually born as a small child by the end of the book, but it, it goes through her father um, being brought into the Empire, where he was he was originally not uh, a military contractor, uh, he was working for another for another government that wasn't actually part of the Empire um, on a, like a little backwater planet. And they find him, bring him in, and they force him to come work for him. And, he, and initially, he thinks it's a good thing because he's, he's, he's a scientist. He's getting his funding to go after his passion projects and everything. And eventually, he realizes that they have been not telling him the full story and that he's building a weapon. And he's not okay with that. He's a, he's a complete pacifist, and he hates the idea that he's building this weapon. So that makes it even more impactful, I think, that he stays and that he doesn't he doesn't commit suicide even. He, he stays and he makes sure that this weapon that they're forcing him to construct has a way to be destroyed relatively easily. It still takes a considerable effort, but, you know, it, it would be a lot easier than, than, than not. Than, you know. Yeah, he doesn't create a perfect weapon. Yeah, no. It, or he doesn't just create weapons that fail. He creates a weapon that they think is going to be the granddaddy of all weapons that has a fatal flaw. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... And, he as far as far as he knows, he knows his wife is dead. He has no idea what happened to his daughter, and he he literally stays just to, just to make sure that his weapon has, the chance to fail, and he he gets the message out with with the imperial pilot that has decided to defect in the movie, to the rebellion to say hey that you can get rid of this weapon. This isn't the end of your, your chances. All right. Well, I feel like we had an actually pretty good in-depth conversation about Star Wars and clones and consent, which, I mean, I knew it was going to be a good conversation. I knew it was going to have a lot to do with human trafficking. I wasn't sure if it was going to be interesting to anyone besides us three, but I think I think it turned out actually quite well. I'm happy about I'm, this. I'm glad I could help. Yeah, no, this was this was great. 
I guess maybe my final question that we can end on then is if Disney came to you and was like, Robert Grant, we would love for you to write a new, a new book on the clones. Would you do it? Would I do it? It would actually be something that I've never, I never even thought about what I, would I write a star Wars novel, but I guess now that you guys have got me thinking about it, I guess I, I, I would love to actually delve a little deeper into this. That's I could see you doing history through Star Wars. I think I, that, that's that's actually how I, I credit Star Wars for for getting me into history. I, I mean, I have, I have a master's in history, and um, as far as I'm concerned, in my head, Star Wars and ancient history are aren't at all all that different because to me, they're both just stories. Like I, I can't prove that ancient history happened, even though we have all this evidence that it did, but. Intellectually, in my mind, the history of Star Wars is is not that different from the history of of, of Earth and of, of human race. Yeah, and there's certainly, I mean, there's a ton of parallels too. I would buy it. I would buy Robert Grant's history of the world via Star Wars. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'll I'll see what I can do about getting that to my publishers. <laughs> yeah, get that to your publishers. Just get a small release from Disney. It'll be fine. I'm I'm, I'm sure they'd be fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much, Grant. We appreciate yeah. it a lot. I, I appreciate you guys having me. It was great. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And everyone else, I hope it was an enlightening and maybe a somewhat lighter way to discuss a heavy topic. And it's always great to talk about Star Wars. And let us know if you'd like us to uh, try something different. There there are plenty of other options. I think J.J. Dobie is a free elf. I'm still, I'm not going to let it go. We're talking about Harry Potter and we're going to talk about uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We're going into it. There's those. There's Lords of the Ring. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings. I mean, I think uh, Ring Wraiths are a really interesting case study. And uh, Battlestar Galactica. I mean, the Cylons were slaves and they rebelled. So, that, you know, that's a pretty fascinating thing. And. And the cast of Battlestar Galactica spoke at the UN, so there's the international relations tie-in. But uh, anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week in cyberspace. So, bye. Bye. See ya. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.